like heaps and heaps of people just like a huge parade of like different sorts of things like this huge bath and stuff and it's sort of like you're in the middle of it all it's going around and then suddenly this huge storms and like destroys them all I would, for me it was sort of like a progression of uh, I got a history feel from it it was like a progression of history for me and uh, I sort of felt like it was started off joyous and then it was sort of almost like it was almost like a war had had descended well we saw the um, the slave traffickers with the um, the people carrying all the 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 bath the shower um, they looked very oppressed, um, like an oppressed society. And uh, we went in towards the end of it, and then they had the time, the measuring devices. Um, that's really all we saw. But quite graphic. Um, well, there must be some ulterior motive. I, I, I've been trying to follow a little bit, and was a bit on synchronicity on entropy and anti-entropy, although I have to admit I don't know what anti-entropy is supposed to be. But anyway, so it's hard to make uh, very much sense out of it without really thinking, okay, or having time to think. But after all, okay, so, so synchronicity, it's, I don't know, it's a bit of a, a bit time movement and um, as, as a function maybe of space. But again, um, it, it's very deep. It's very deep. I think it's not really something that you can, I don't know, see and then, uh, and then think you have understood. It's so different to anything else. It's extremely hard to process. And there's so much going on all at the same time. Five screens, all with different things going on. And some with real people, some with um, cut out bits of paper, making cartoon people, things being written and drawn and it's just so much going on. One of the most extraordinary performances I've ever seen, I'm a performance artist myself, and uh, I, I know William's work, Kedritcher, yeah? and uh, it's amazing just what he's got together now, yeah? There's the whole memory of the contemporary art, yeah? References to Picasso, the, the, uh, the one about uh, uh, Gunica, references to that, reference to early film, the early films of Millet, the whole history of surrealism, performance art, Robert Wilson, Tadeusz Kantor, uh, everybody is all in there, mixed beautifully together. Um, it's a work of really great beauty and uh, humility, and uh, it's one of the best works I've seen in my life. was people reacting to William Kentridge's The Refusal of Time. And if you want to hear more about this piece, then make sure you have a listen to episode one of the podcast, which you'll find on the Guardian Australia website. Welcome to Guardian Australia's Perth Festival podcast. I'm Vicky Frost, and today we're here at PICA, the Perth Institute of Contemporary Art. We're having a little sit outside, actually, having a little beer in the sun, which might not be the most sensible move, given the fact that it's burning hot. But um, Andrew Frost and Andrew P Street join me. We're going to be discussing art and music, what they've consumed and their choices for the week ahead. And later in the podcast, we'll be catching up with the Kellerman Quartet in rehearsal. 
Um, first, we're going to talk to you, Mr. P Street, uh, about what music you've been seeing at the festival. Last night, you went to see Elstra, I think. I did indeed, and they were extremely good. They, uh, I've seen them before. They were, I think, better this time. They were tighter. They were enjoying themselves a lot more on stage. But the real surprise was the support act, which was a Perth band called Lilt. Uh, again, similar to Elstra, they were an electronic pop outfit, but amazingly good. Just, uh, it, it's just wonderful seeing a band kind of on the cusp, and and these guys clearly are. They. They were confident, they were nervous, they were excited. It was really a pleasure to see. And their songs are great. And they, they were a perfect support. So, band to go and find their album. Have they got an album out or an EP? They've got an EP called Swim. And uh, I believe that there's something new coming soon. But uh, I'm very, very intrigued by them. I I'm, I'm, I'm look forward to, to uh, seeing them do their own headline show as soon as humanly possible. Brilliant. And so tomorrow night, Oakville River play the festival, and I think you were talking to them ahead of uh, that performance. Yes, I spoke to uh, to Will Chef, their uh, singer, songwriter, main guy, creative powerhouse, uh, who is a very uh, charming and funny guy who had a lot to talk about in terms of how much he thinks that uh, Bono ruins you too, and how he thinks that uh, Radiohead have terrible lyrics which um, makes a bit more sense in the context of the conversation, which was about writing in the 80s generally. But um, yes, I, I'm pretty sure that's the bit that's going to be shared around Twitter with a lot of very angry hashtags. Uh, Radiohead seems to be everywhere at this festival, actually. There's Radio and Juliet, which is um, the ballet at the quarry, which is Romeo and Juliet to Radiohead. I'm quite conflicted about how I feel about that, to be honest. I'm not sure. That doesn't sound gimmicky at all to me. That, that, that sounds like very much what the bard would have wanted. So uh, there's Radiohead Ballet. And also this morning there was a story uh, about a chef who has made sort of a 10-course tasting menu to eat to the strains of Radiohead, which to me is just like, you know, basically <laughs> rock and roll is dead. You know, if there is any more way of blandifying something than just making it the soundtrack to a track to a very long meal, I don't know what it is. I know, that's, isn't that uh, the, the menu is based on the album Kid A? And when I read that story, I realised that the, the, the picture on the cover of Kid A, that, that drawing, that painting, could conceivably be a dessert. <laughs> you think that's what's prompted it? Well, I thought there were snow-capped mountains, but I, I'm clearly this guy's looking at this picture and thinking, mm, I could make that into a, uh, some sort of ice cream. Interesting art insights on uh, the Radiohead menu there from uh, Andrew Frost. And um, Andrew, tell us about what you've been seeing at Perth. Today you went to see Shadowlands, um, an exhibition by Anne Ferran, uh, I think out towards Fremantle. Yeah, this was at the University of Western Australia Gallery, uh, the Lawrence Wilson Gallery. This is essentially a career survey of Anne Ferran's work from uh, the early 1980s up to uh, a project that she was uh, producing in conjunction with this show and it's a fantastic opportunity to see one of the key artists of the 1980s uh, who's evolved through the last few decades producing work consistently around the theme of history of remembrance of memory and doing it in a way that is is not cliched it's it remains fresh even the 80s stuff, which does, I have to say, look very much like it comes from the 1980s. It has a sort of postmodern feel to it that's very, very familiar. Even that work is, is revived in a way in the show, which I found absolutely 
fascinating and it is a very handsomely and beautifully put together show. Amongst the exhibition, along with the series of photographs that she's done in different locations on, on related but slightly different subject areas, there are three video works, two major pieces, one of which is called Canal, which is a very spooky slow motion journey along a river in what appears to be the industrial inner west of Sydney. Uh, I thought I caught a glimpse of Parramatta Road at one point, but it's like a, an experience of archaeology in the present moment of going along this river and experience what remains of the landscape. And so, you know, that's a fantastic example of how this idea of history and memory uh, is, is, is examined in the work. And I, I thought it was one of the best things I've seen in, in, in a while. And, and a fantastic, I think, a fantastic tribute to an artist who's in mid-career, which shamefully in Australia is actually quite a rare experience to go to a gallery and see a, a, big, a big survey show. And I think Ferran's work really, you know, uh, stands that kind of scrutiny. You can read more from Andrew on that exhibition on the website. And Vicky, what have you been seeing? Yesterday evening I went to see Situation Rooms, which is um, it's quite hard to describe actually. It's kind of equal parts theatre, journalism, uh, real life gameplay, video game playing, documentary. It's an interesting work, it's really challenging. It takes that idea of immersive theatre and really pushes it really quite far. It also demands an awful lot of its audience. Basically, when you arrive, um, you're given an iPad mini on a little handle and um, a set of headphones, and then you're launched into this warren of uh, rooms. And you play a variety of different characters over 70 minutes. You play 10 different characters and the screen basically tells you what you need to go and do or things you need to put on or how to interact with other people because there are also other people playing this same game at the same time as you. And so your stories overlap. And it's quite interesting because, you know, there are people you will interact with on your journey through who you will then later play. So then you sort of see the other side of that story. It's really clever. I can't imagine how it was plotted because, you know, you've got 20 people in crazy amounts of rooms. You know, it's, it's quite phenomenal. I have some reservations about it. I think it was almost too much. I think my concentration levels aren't bad, but, you know, I was finding it difficult to keep up with everything because you're trying to match your point of view on the iPad with your point of view in the room. You're having these interactions with people you don't know. You're also, and this is meant to be the point of the piece, but it sometimes gets a bit lost, I think. You're listening to these stories which are from people, real people, whose lives have been touched by the international arms trade. And those should be the stories you take away from this piece and actually you almost can't listen to them because you're so busy doing all these other things that you're having to actively do and also some of them are speaking not in English so you're also listening to sort of somebody translating and the original language which if you know any of it is then more distracting and watching people around you and so it's an awful lot I think it's almost a great success but it's sort of it, it is slightly too immersive if that's even a thing. It sounds enormously complicated. It sounds more complicated than it actually is. When you're actually doing it, you're very much in your own world and you're just following instructions and so is everyone around you. So your interactions are sort of choreographed. So you're not having to particularly think about them. Um, I mean, 
actually the individuality I found slightly problematic. I think part of the thing of being having a theatre experience with other people is that you do experience as an audience and as a community. And here, while you interact with people, they're entirely entirely meaningless actually those interactions you're just doing what you're told and you don't experience this work as a group of people really and I, I I sort of wondered about that I kind of wondered if the balance on that was a bit wrong I know other people think this is the future of theatre but I think that's actually slightly depressing if that is the future of theatre it's just individual works experienced individually I'm not sure about that I should say, despite those reservations, this is something I really do recommend you go and see because it's quite unlike anything I've seen, particularly in Australia this year. If you want to read more about uh, what I thought about it, you can go to the Guardian website where you'll find my review. Hi, my name's Patricia, and you're listening to the Perth Festival podcast by The Guardian Australia. Uh, so, Andrew, what are you off to do tonight? Tonight I'm going to go and see Sh- uh, Shot, which is an attempt to recreate uh, the Beastie Boys album, Paul's Boutique, using the original samples, which seems an interesting and ambitious and largely pointless exercise well, to me. That's what I was going to say. I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then I thought, but why? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting record because it is made entirely of samples. I mean, that's it, it's one of the the first records made from the ground up by other people's music, and so so going back and remaking it live, I think will be very difficult and very complicated. And also, why bother? Because it already exists, and obviously, so the uh, the Beastie Boys are no no longer functioning since uh, MCA's passing. So it's sort of yeah, I'm, I don't know whether it's meant to be a tribute or whether it's meant to be somebody showing off how good their record collection is. It, either way, I'm, yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure how I feel about it. I don't know what it's going to be like as a performance. I have a question, Mr. Street. Do you think this kind of performance? It sounds to me like a festival idea. Like Radiohead and Ballet sounds like a festival idea. Can this kind of music actually exist outside of this context? Uh I don't think so. I don't think this is the sort of thing where if somebody advertised that they were going to be recreating the samples that made a record in a club somewhere, people would go. It, it does. It, it does seem like a, an art project rather than a gig. Yeah, like one of those one of those good ideas of you know some artist should collaborate and then they do and it's you know it's 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 Johnny Cash and Bob Dylan all over again. Yeah, I I completely agree. And I also, just given the space that it's in, because one of the things that that I've discovered about the the Chevron Gardens is that when it's full, it's a very, very good place to see things, as as with Alstra. But when it's not full, as with Ebony Bones, it's a soulless dead space. And so I I think unless it's a real party atmosphere, tonight's going to be a struggle. I wow. think I think it might be a party atmosphere actually because well I think it is possibly a fest I do understand what you mean when you say festival piece. I do think also it's the sort of thing where you could just be flicking through a program and think, what should I go to? I don't really feel anything particularly strongly. Oh that looks fun and maybe go. So I don't know. If if it hap- like if they pull it off, I mean it's a great record and it's a it's a it's a party record. So it could be one of the surprises of, of the festival or it could be 
a horrible, horrible mistake. It'll, I'm very interested to see how it works out. This week, the Kellerman Quartet performed a new string quartet composed by Australian composer Ross Edwards at the Perth Concert Hall. We sent audio producer Miles Martignoni along to talk to Edwards and the quartet during rehearsal. Hi, my name is Barnabas Kalaman and I play the first violin usually of the Kalaman Quartet, but sometimes I play the viola as well. So I've heard you have uh, quite a special violin that you carry with you. Tell me about it. Oh, I'm unclear, do you own this violin or is it kind of in, in loan for you? Yeah, I wish I could own this, but uh, my lifetime uh, would hardly be enough to pay this violin. This is luckily part of the state collection of in, in Hungary. And this was mm, given to me about seven years ago when I made this application after the great uh, violinist Dénes Kovács passed away. He got this violin in the 60s. Oh, I'm sorry, and I didn't talk about the instrument itself, which is a Guarneri del Gesù violin made in 1742. And so what makes an old violin like this so special? It's very hard to say, uh, very hard to explain. Because today's best violins can be really great, really great. Some of them has have maybe as beautiful sound as a Guarneri, we could say, almost. Some of them has maybe at least as big power or maybe bigger power. But firstly, the two together, the quality and the power, th doesn't really work with, with new instruments for some reason, unknown reason. The wood, the varnish or some magic that must have happened in 150 years around Cremona between the 16th and the 18th century. It was really, really amazing. And we have to say also, how would you describe the difference between an original Rembrandt and the best copy? Maybe you wouldn't, you wouldn't see if it would be, if you'd see it from far, you wouldn't see it from a picture, you have to be really there. But there is a resonation that you re can't really see. There's a very, honestly, there's a little difference between an old uh, Guarneri or Stradivari violin and the best modern violins or the best 20th century violins. <coughs> but there is something, something that uh, it's hard to talk about. For, one other important thing is also the inspiration of the instrument itself. When I play on the violin, I feel different. And then because of this, the audience can also, they could say uh, that there is a difference. So these are, are really magical and not really answerable questions, but I tried. Hi, I'm Ross Edwards, an Australian composer, uh, and I've been commissioned by Music of Viva to write a string quartet for the Kellerman String Quartet, who are touring here from Budapest. Uh, the title of the piece is Summer Dances. What I mean by that title is that um, the core of the piece is an insect sound, which I heard many years ago while walking through the bush, and I, it stayed with me, and that generated the quartet in many ways. So... Um, in the heat of summer, a cricket, <laughs> uh, the sound of a cricket, um, 
Generated Whole String Quartet. The piece is beautiful, I can say, and it's so I'm so happy to say it of a contemporary piece because it's really even if there are great contemporary pieces, you couldn't easily say from that many are beautiful. I think beauty is coming back into music and if it didn't music would probably die you know you get so incredibly intellectual and um, frankly absurd sometimes um, that uh, it, it, it's I mean these things come in waves you get uh, people being rightfully sort of intense and intellectual uh, and uh, you know, contriving or really uh, uh, organizing their pieces to a, a a great degree, and then there's a reaction. I think the whole history of music has been this. You know, people think, oh, we're sick of this, and and we'd like a tune. <laughs> well, perhaps not as crass as that, but you know what I mean. It's just to... And um, I think, well, I mean, these days you can do anything, but uh, the idea of beauty, I, I am actually uh, very concerned with bringing back. Not, not in a, a too obvious a sense, but... Um, Yes, that's what I want to do. And so I guess to someone who doesn't know a lot about modern compositions, it sounds strange that beauty went out of vogue. So do you mean that perhaps the, the compositions were becoming overly complicated or technical? Absurdly so, yes. It, 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 and uh, it was a nightmare for orchestras. And uh, there were sort of incredibly, uh, uh, well, what, what would I say? Um, uh, well, intellectual um, attempt to make everything sound really complicated. There's a whole schools of it in, in universities often because um, they don't they get paid anyway. If you see what I mean, um, and get a terrific review, and people will say, "Oh, this is blah blah blah," and yet the audience will go away uh, unconvinced and um, not wanting any more of it. And yet, if you're paid to write that sort of thing. Um, fine, and you enjoy it. So it sounds like there's a line between, I guess, in any profession, as being in that profession, you might um, appreciate elements, technical elements, more than a normal person who just enjoys listening to the music might. And, and so it seems like that kind of scope may have taken over it for a while. Yes, it does from time to time. Um, and then, uh, then it changes back again. Um, I think if people, I, I put personally, uh, if something is too simple, um, I find it banal and I don't want to listen to it. it but if it's particularly beautiful, I mean like a, a, a melodic line, um, which you just know in your gut <laughs> that it's, it, it's really affecting you, well, that's wonderful. Um, but I, I find I have to contrive a lot of my music, but I won't accept it until um, I feel a certain sort of zing. I know that this is... This is it for me, at least, and hope I hope for others. It's all you can do, really. <laughs> that was Miles Martignoni talking to Australian composer Ross Edwards and the Kellerman Quartet. The quartet will now perform in most major cities in Australia, so do have a Google to see if they're coming to near you. What are you doing?
thanks very much for joining us, Andrew. I think we might hear from you later in the week about other exhibitions. Thank you, Vicky. My pleasure being here. Thank you very much, Andrew P Street. And uh, tell us, what are you looking forward to uh, in terms of gigs coming up? Well, I, I think that it, it would be foolish to miss Wire. Now, they're, they're a you know, classic post-punk band from the UK. Uh, they've been around since the late 70s. And I've been not terrifically impressed by probably the last 10 years of their work up until their most recent album, uh, Change Becomes Us, where they actually took a bunch of ideas that they never got to work on in sort of 1981 and used those as the basis for a new record. So that, that's what they're touring and that's, you know, it, it's turned into an, an extraordinarily interesting album. So I think it'll be a hell of a show. We'll have Andrew's interview with Wa up on the website in the near future. Thanks very much for joining us. We'll see you tomorrow when Van Badham, Jane Howard and Catherine Viner will all be joining us on our late night podcast from Fringe World Festival. See you then. For all of our festival coverage across audio, video, pictures and text, visit theguardian.com slash au.